0: what's up motherfuckers welcome to episode 14 of aid thompson and other disappointments my guest this week you may have seen her on good morning britain on the jeremy vine show on this morning uh she's a broadcast journalist with 20 years experience I thought it might be interesting to bring her on and talk to her about how things have changed within the journalism arena over the last few years. Um, Because you may or may not know this about me, but I have become radicalized uh, in terms of journalism and politics since the EU referendum. Um, So how have things changed for a journalist in that time? How has media morphed and contorted itself? The next hour that you're going to listen to has been an interesting observation and exploration of um the tories what they've done whilst they've been in power how journalism has changed and more importantly how we see things changing in the future please welcome my guest for this week the one the only the wonderful gemma forte Welcome to episode 14 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. I'm joined tonight by Gemma Forte. Hello, Gemma. Hello. How are you doing?
1: All right, actually. Um, yeah, I'm good, actually, overall. Been a pretty good week. It's been a sunny day today. The kids are both here, which is why I'm in the kitchen, because usually any work or broadcasting, I've got my little corner set up. Oh, right. My lockdown broadcast corner from our living room, but tonight that's not happening
0: they've got the telly <laughs> oh dear they've commandeered it fair play though yeah. yeah i must uh actually put a shout out slash thank you to to my other half she is not feeling well and i've left her in the house with mm. a baby that's just had jabs and my four-year-old son who just doesn't want to go to sleep so they're all yeah. the, there's just chaos in there and thankfully because she's just a very nice lady she's letting me come out here and do this
1: she definitely got the short straw
0: yes i think that's <laughs> probably what she tells herself every day <laughs> um so I, I suppose just to give people a bit like a bit of an intro um i i wanted to bring you on the podcast because um i'm something of a news junkie uh mm-hmm. i'm always on twitter obsessing over various like newspaper websites and so on um basically, if I'm not talking tech, then I'm talking news and politics. Um, and I thought one subject that I haven't touched on yet in any of the episodes before this is, is journalism and how tech has, has touched it over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I, I'm, well, I've am well, i got to say, I'm quite excited to get your, your insight into this, um, because I know sort of how I feel when I look at news and you know when i consume it and uh my dad worked in the business for his whole career um but i'm conscious i have a sort of outsider's perspective um for how things may have changed for better or worse mm. over the last few years
1: so you get someone really old on who's been doing it for years and that is me well my because i'm 47 now and i've worked in media since i was 18
0: wow well i was gonna say like so do you could you, could you give <laughs> us a bit of an intro like how did you get into it first of all
1: um so what did i do my kind of when i really i wanted to be a presenter when presenters weren't really a thing and it was completely different so no social media um no sort of like it wasn't experts necessarily on telly it was it was looking for presenters and you'd sort of would go and do auditions for stuff i'd send out vhs tapes and then I ended up doing a bit of Nickelodeon. Did Disney Channel right. for five years, which was amazing. And that was like my training ground where I got to do, uh, had an earpiece, you know, with a live studio gallery and yeah. multi-camera and uh, got to interview, but also got to do autocue sometimes. But just really that, that timing and coping with someone talking in your ear. So that was that. Then I went on to presenting for ITV and BBC, did the National Lottery and things like that. And then... My CV's all over the shop. There's never been a plan. Had a couple of kids, wrote some books. And then um, these days, I, um, what do I do? I do different things. I go on the Jeremy Vine show very mm. regularly as a panellist. And I still write. Um, I'm writing a project at the moment. And I sometimes write uh, for papers or magazines. And I sometimes do radio. Cool. But as a commentator or GMB and so on. Um, so, yeah. And and I think that actually um, also, although I'm not specifically a trained journo, mm. for me, I became incredibly engaged in a way that I never had been before with the news when the referendum happened. Right.
0: Really. Yeah. Like a lot of people then. I feel like. Yeah,
1: like so many people. And. Um, I was I was engaged politically a bit before, but I think that now it all feels like it matters so much more. So I'm again I'm old enough to remember um when Tony Blair got in and okay, you know, obviously we didn't know the Iraq war was gonna happen, but at the time it was incredible living in britain then as a young person yeah it was amazing it really was it was the front of gq was cool britannia and it had liam gallagher and kate moss in bed with a big union jack but not in the sort of robert Jenrick waving a nationalistic. it was all very cool it was blur versus, versus oasis it was house music it was djing it was um it was just like this explosion of amazing stuff um, the Brits was always really cool. The Spice Girls were sort of huge globally. Yeah, Guy Ritchie and movies. Still yeah, didn't have social media and stuff, and it just felt like there was a massive sense of togetherness, and that. So that was sort of whenever it was late nineties, and and then even when Cameron got in, it was like mm, okay, but it didn't feel really worrying or dangerous yeah. or terrifying or. Really, they were, you know, these sort of politicians, they were, you were like, well, I could be Labour or someone else could be conservative and you could go for a drink. That's absolutely fine. You're not that far apart. Of course, there's always going to be extremes, but not like there is now.
0: Yeah. Um, There wasn't the same division and tribalism. No, Mm.
1: no. And then, of course, um, I remember there was a certain point where just in terms of how the media has changed. I remember one sort of moment when I was at Disney Channel and Big Brother um, had started and it was great. It was really good. The first series was amazing because no one knew why they were there or how it was going to be. Yeah. And Gina McCall was hosting. She was super cool at the time and all the rest of it. And then we used to get bands coming onto Disney Channel and celeb guests. And then suddenly we had the people from Big Brother were coming on. And that was like, Oh, Craig from Big Brother, whatever. And it was the first time you had a reality star. Yeah, know What we now know as reality stars, which was so prevalent. And it was like this new thing of really, like, being quite excited to meet this person that was a builder who'd gone on telly for a bit. Yeah. So that was something new. And then I remember bands that maybe hadn't worked out, bewitched Mm. people from S Club or whatever were going... I'd quite like to be a presenter. And so then they'd go, oh, and it was that idea of well, you're sort of known for something else, but come in and have a go. And, of course, quite often they'd be absolutely dreadful because they'd never done it. And sometimes they'd be naturally really good. Yeah. Um. So that was a a change as well, the beginning of things, um, changing to where we are now, yeah. where presenting if someone said to me now, I want to be a presenter, I'd rather oh, "Don't bother. Honestly, don't do it. <laughs> don't," because unless you're an expert, so be a gardener who gets on telly, or be a historian who gets on telly, or be a journalist who goes on as an opinion piece. I just don't. You know, if there's a presenting job going, it's going to go to somebody who's come out of Towie or Love Island or
0: Really? Do you th- do you feel like the the skill set has been sort of diluted a bit?
1: A little bit. I mean, I don't uh, – this isn't something that I sort of feel two ways about. It's just progress. It's just change. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, and I I, I, I guess – I mean, I remember once there was, an, there was a series of Love Island and they hired two of the winners to do some reporting on morning telly and it, it was car crash. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't last long. But then sometimes you'll get someone like Ryland, for instance – He's really, really good at what he does. He's a big name now. He's got his Radio 2 show, yeah. He can yeah. host anything, and he's very likeable. And he's really good technically at what he does and how he does it, and that's where he's come from. Or look at Alison Hammond, or look at you know, there's various people, and that seems to be the breeding ground now. But yeah, but I mean, you've still got to learn how to do it, yeah, somehow, yeah, somewhere. And so- but it's a non job, it doesn't exist, <laughs> it doesn't, you know
0: but like not really you mean like it doesn't exist in the sort of discipline like i'm going to train to be a tv present it's more a sort of um like people who came up in a different way and then they flexed across to presentation it sounds like yeah
1: yeah exactly and also then of course what you've got now is the currency of your social media profile so for a broadcaster or a commercial station of any kind yeah if you've got Someone who's perhaps um, a very, very safe pair of hands and a good, and they're they're right. But if that if that person's got three thousand followers versus that person who's got two hundred thousand, they'll use that person for these reasons.
0: It's weird, isn't it?
1: Always necessarily the right decision, and some, but sometimes it is. But I also think sometimes this idea that having a huge following means everything is wrong because great example of that so I write novels I've had five novels out and um Joey Essex wrote a book um and listen I'm not like criticizing Joey Essex like he is way I... richer than me good luck to him right but it made me laugh that the publishers gave him the most huge advance uh, something quite insulting to writers really it was something like half a million quid yeah He sold about two copies. What they failed to understand is that he might have six million followers or I don't know how many he has, but they don't read books.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, funnily enough, is not his demographic.
0: Yeah. But it's also like it's it's this sort of fundamental mistake that numbers equal some sort of transferable credibility. It's like I remember getting into an argument once with a friend of mine about i think it's about pop stars or something and uh and she was saying like i think she was like she was like championing beyonce and she said well i guess you know 10 million people can't be wrong or so, something like that i think there was some like big sales figure for beyonce and i was just like yeah but i mean fucking justin bieber sells out stadiums it doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean he's any good and i suppose like that's a sort of you know it's a similar. Yeah, I mean
1: you you picked the wrong person there because Beyonce's goddess.
0: Well, I know I'm in the minority. I I, I accept she's a great singer. Uh yeah. and I'm sure I mean
1: I would say perhaps more like we're all gonna have people where you go, wow, they sell out stage like Ed Sheeran. Oh, I don't get that really.
0: Yeah, I see I, I like Ed Sheeran on the basis that he writes his stuff and for some reason and Apparently
1: he's lovely and goes into his old school and plays and stuff and all of this. But yeah. yeah. But whereas Beyoncé I just don't see how anyone could not see that she's a star in the, in the truest old fashioned sense of the word.
0: Yeah. I, so I get, I, I understand all of this. I'll tell you what my problem yeah. is. And this is why I, I like Ed Sheeran, but I dislike Beyonce is I don't like this, this, um, uh, perf- the performance element of it where it's like, I know you didn't write the song, so, there's something missing there for me. It's like I need mm-hmm. to know that the person, when they sing it, that they wrote it. And
1: I don't care. When she stands up and sings, you know, or even Glastonbury or something like that, I get shivers. Yeah. From top to toe. For me, it's her presence.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm a lot more understanding it's about this. So now. amazing.
1: I'd rather watch Beyonce sing the phone book than.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, then Ed Sheeran, but it's, it's all personal,
0: isn't Sure. It? It's
1: all personal. But, yeah, so so yeah, so things have changed uh, massively, and the best thing that if you want to work in the media or this industry, you just got to be pragmatic and, and adapt and change with it.
0: Yeah. Well, I suppose it's like anything, uh, and especially anything that's touched by technology, is so you just uh, evolve or kind of die like the high street in a weird way, like... You know, Basically. you just adapt and evolve. Yeah. Um
1: I mean I'm like horribly late to things. I see I love Twitter, it's fun. Yeah. Well. I'm one of the rare people <laughs> who says it's fun. I know it can be cesspity as well, but I, I I get a lot out of Twitter. But um and then Instagram was something that I did because friends of mine in the business were like, You gotta do it. And and I do, and it's fine and it's all right. And actually it does it does um affect your work like if you work in the media you've got to have it
0: really because i sort of i can see that the the pull with twitter especially with the journalist but with instagram it's that's an interesting one so why what's the pull there then
1: i don't know i've got a bigger following on instagram than twitter but i'm on twitter so much more i don't really use instagram much. i just sort of post. i did. i think well okay so another job that i do is i represent a brand at qvc right so for instance on that that's a really visual thing and they it's in my contract that i post and I do things like Instagram competitions and giveaway stuff. But also on your stories, you can do swipe up so you can swell, sell product. I see. Um, and I find that people in the business look at it. So when I was starting out as a presenter, Bane of Your Life was making showreels. Yeah. Absolute pain in the ass. I have to get the clips and it used to be a VHS. Then it would be like, so, and now I've got some reels on YouTube, but I don't send them anymore. People look at your Instagram.
0: Right. I see
1: because it it's a visual cv it's like oh i'm at gmb oh, i'm at talk radio oh i'm doing my qvc oh, i'm doing my thing yeah I, I guess that's how it works because people will contact me they've got you know and say i saw you did this or you can see when journos or producers follow you and you follow them back. you know it's just it's just a necessary evil i think
0: i suppose it's just easier for them as well isn't it it's like they must know yeah. that everyone's got a show showreel on youtube but they yeah, they, they, they
1: to go to that. yeah they
0: got their instagram like right there in their pocket they'll just quickly look you yeah. up yeah Yeah.
1: yes so i find that that's just like that's what i'm doing at the moment although i think today i mean you know there's many many days i don't post anything uh so yeah you gotta do it yeah and, um and yeah, I think if anyone was looking for a, a person at my sort of level, they'd be like, where are they?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to what you were saying before about um, getting engaged in politics around that 2016 kind of time, because that was from an outsider's perspective. Uh, and remember, I don't, I don't work in the media Um It seemed like it was around 2013 to 2016 that journalism sort of broke off and went into the bad timeline. Um, And I I think maybe when, when we start to get near to the referendum, that was the first time when I started thinking, do you remember like back in the 80s and early 90s? there would always be these people on the news saying like, we need to find a way to get people more engaged in politics. Like it was famously boring and they wanted to get people more engaged, but it was after 2016 when I was like, we need to find a way to get people less engaged in politics. And, uh, and, and, that was the sort of genesis of the whole, like the fake news stuff and anti-vax and like Hillary's Pizzagate. Gate. And I think like the Mail and the Guardian had always been, you know, polar opposites. But um, I think since then, um, previous newspapers of record like the Telegraph have, you know, pivoted and moved more aggressively into this kind of, you know, in, in oh, my tele- yeah, in my in my strange. opinion. They've you gone know, into a right-wing but yeah, fantasy line. I, I put but... a
1: lot of this back to Murdoch. Mm. And, you know, famously, he's always decided who's going to be in power next. Yeah. And um, Tony Blair famously cozied up to him and was really, really derided within the Labour Party for doing so and for going on his yacht and doing all of that stuff that him and Alistair Campbell did. And But he was like, do you want Labour to be in power or not? You know, and... And he decided that Brexit was going to happen. And I think Russia decided that Brexit was going to happen. And lots of rich disaster capitalists decided that Brexit should happen. And loads of people in this country decided that Brexit should happen. But I think that, uh, you know, austerity, mm. this goes right back to the financial crash, as far as I'm concerned. And I just think when you've had a huge crash, if you don't stimulate the economy, Mm. And you cut and cut and cut and cut, which is what the Tories done. I mean, i never forget Theresa May when she was at the Home Office going against everything that the police advised, cutting ten, 10,000 police officers. It was like, OK. And that was really, I remember, really scary, thinking, why it's so short-sighted? It's always seemed so short-sighted to me, because why are you saving there? You taking away the resources that keep us safe, and that keep like crime looked into, and and they all said if you do that, you won't manage this, and it's all happened. They cut all the um, youth centres, mm. they cut all the resources, they cut all the mental health resources. So you've had crime went up, people had nowhere to go, people with mental health issues roaming the streets, etc. And you do that long enough, and you cut schools and all the things that make our society amazing Mm. and the nhs and everything and then you get people that can't afford to live near their place of work and and especially up north you just see no investment no infrastructure and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then the press instead of blaming the government blame migrants and oh I know, let's blame it, Europeans. Yeah. And this is where it's so sad because I remember in the cool Britannia days, it felt like, wow, I'm lucky to live in Britain because if I go out and get run over or something happens to me, we all get free healthcare at point of access. Then we've got the BBC. And now that's become such a thing. The BBC is like globally envied. Yeah. It's being this incredible, incredible state broadcaster people go on and on and on about question time look at cbb's look at all the radio look at the drama that gets exported around the world like the serpent look at the cricket look at the tennis look at the you know all the stuff that they do so the bbc the nhs then we're in bed with america with this special relationship and then not only that we've got all our neighbours there's massive trade block and we free trade and you've got freedom of movement and you can all go over there like and then we're in London and it's super cool. And there's loads of investment here so that they can all have a gateway into Europe. Yeah. What has happened? <laughs> and why are we now no freedom of movement, fiddling about with them, Yeah. pissed off Northern Ireland, Scotland, who knows what will happen, isolated, no big global trade deals because who are they going to be with? Well, China just bought loads of nu- nuclear weapons because we're so scared of them. BBC being sort of attacked, yeah, it's horrible. And the NHS will be paying before we know it for our healthcare as well. That's the way that it's going, and I just feel really sad about it. Yeah, there you go. It's depressing, isn't it?
0: (laughs) But then, if we track all of that back, like, so, in is it your perspective as somebody that works in the media that that most of this can be tracked back to the the evil hand of Murdoch? Or...
1: Well, it's it's all those different things coming together and the press mm. are so powerful in this country. And if you look now at the Express and the Mail and the Sun and uh, the Times is fine, you know, the Guardian. But yeah, the Telegraph is grim. I mean, I went on a show and I was on with the editor of the Telegraph and I have to say, the night before, I was really prepping. I was prepping like a good one because I'm like, oh, the editor of The Telegraph, massive imposter syndrome. I didn't even go to uni. yeah, And I'm thinking, I have got to do my homework because this person is going to be so well-versed and so brilliant. And all I will say is, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't at all. I was astounded yeah. by some of the things it was saying. And I was saying, but... Blah, blah blah blah, and you go. Oh yeah, no, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, like really, really, Tim nice, but dim weird. And I, I could not believe it. I was like, that's one of the biggest broadsheets.
0: Yeah, and people believe it.
1: And then they his, his own podcast called Choppers Brexit or something?" I mean,
0: yeah. Do you think it's as simple as they are simple, or do you think it's more cynical than that? Where they're like, No,
1: I think, uh, I think with, um, I think with Murdoch, it goes back to a bit of a, 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 a very complicated relationship with how he feels about Britain. Because, like, there's an amazing podcast called The Sun King, which is all about him. Mm. And, you know, he, it's that power. It's power. It's control. It's manipulation. It's wanting people to be at his behest. And it's slightly grenades going into, you know, how things have always been. I think, and then I think people like Jacob Rees-Mogg are making an absolute killing yeah. in money. Well, they are. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Boris Johnson. Then you've got at the helm. It's all this whole recipe. Who doesn't care whether we're there or not? It's just about him. Hence why he wrote, you know, one big piece about staying and one big piece about leaving, and then just whoa, whoa, whoa. okay, I'll go with that one because what suits me.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's. Uh a weird assortment. and then once
1: you've perpetuated lies and perpetuated them and you know you what are you gonna do you can't try and go okay we called it wrong
0: yeah that's the thing that actually irks me the most i think about politics now is like there doesn't seem to be i mean we know there's no shame everyone knows that but um it's the the total absence of admission when they've got anything, like even the smallest thing wrong. And it's like now yeah. now the most recent example of that, I suppose, is Johnson last week being hauled over the coals for misleading parliament. Uh
1: lying. Yeah. yeah.
0: And if he And then
1: not changing the record. Yeah.
0: If he if he had any integrity as a politician at this stage left, we'll
1: just get well. he
0: would just sort of go, Okay, all right, look, I got it wrong. Um here's why I don't think that actually I misled parliament blah 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 but i i accept that it could have been perceived that way and uh i'm sorry and i of course i will correct the record but there's none of that it's like
1: i don't know why anyone's surprised he got sacked for lying twice Mm. in previous jobs it's what he does he lied throughout the referendum but anyone can go and and look at that it's all there but people think they choose not to or they go it doesn't matter because they like him Yeah, I don't get it because I hate dishonesty and people sometimes hate what I've got to say or don't like me. But I know that I always try to say the truth.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And if people don't like it and they often don't, that's fine. But I do not understand how much more. There was a, a list of things the other day going back to like everything that's happened in the in in the last week with the Sarah Everard murder and the terrible handling of Clapham and all the rest of it and a fair few journalists actually did this and it was great and the best one was Peston with Priti Patel and they were t- talking about these issues about violence to women and you know her obsession with statues um protect the big lump of bronze not the woman that's been raped weird mm. um or i mean i'm putting that really
0: sure yeah that wasn't his intro yeah
1: basically one man got less for raping an 11 year old child than they are saying you could potentially get for spraying a statue i have an issue with that yeah anyway so they're talking about that you know she's there citing herself as this incredible advocate for women and peston said okay so if someone said to you and patted you on the bottom and said x y and z or you know if somebody said this what would you, and she's like? Well, it's not acceptable, and it was all things that Boris Johnson had said. Oh, you know, wow. he said things like Excellent. women go to university to find a husband. He was at a place of work once, and he had a nude calendar that was on the, his desk. Some, you know, like and a couple of the women in the office complained and were like, feel really uncomfortable with that. So he went and put it on their desk. You know, I don't know what more he has to do. Like he was taken to court by a woman so that he had to own up to one of the children that he'd had. Yeah. You know, he he left his wife when she had cancer. Him and Carrie have a fight. And there's the Russian thing that died a thing that he was obviously, you know, all the rumours in the press about that. The list. Yeah. But people don't... I care.
0: Yeah. But that's because... loads
1: of people don't.
0: That's because they... And and I have to be careful, like, I accept that I may be trapped in my own bubble, but I feel like it's because people get caught in these news bubbles, both social media and traditional media, where they're just fed the same narrative constantly, forever. And that is something that's come about since, like, 2016. I think, you know, famously, Facebook and Twitter have been a big part of that, Um, but I also think the traditional media have now begun to ape that. And that's maybe why we're starting to see papers like the Telegraph sort of lean aggressively into this culture war division kind of style of reporting and i think once you get into that mind frame where you're like well the daily mail told me that immigrants eat babies and um they've told me five separate times and and i'm going to believe it because the last 15 stories that i read in the express they fire hosed more nonsense at me about asylum seekers so i'm like they just get stuck in this bubble yeah,
1: yeah and yeah, and so yeah. and i think people still trust papers people still trust politicians they see Matt Mm. Hancock come out and go and they go okay you know and that they take it at face value and that's absolutely fair enough but it's when you start to go beneath the layers and understand how these people operate perhaps that it becomes more apparent you know maybe that what they're saying is absolute rubbish and then you're right papers have got pressure because they're dying a death in some ways we all have computers to hand i.e our phones we wake up in the morning and you've got this deluge of stuff so where do you go they need to stay in business and they can also record now on their online editions what is getting the, the clicks yeah and so it becomes more salacious and it becomes more you know a, a led by opinion rather than just reporting i mm. mean you know 50 years ago you'd go and get your paper and sit down and read it for an hour and it reported the facts of what had happened on a story. That is kind of kaput gone. You know, we don't sit around and then go, Oh, it's the ten o'clock news, let's see what's happening in the world. We've heard it all. Mm. We've had tweets or people WhatsApping us going, Oh my god, have you heard this? or It's like now when a celebrity dies, you know, you know within point yeah. five of a second you get a flash up on your phone, a BBC news thing. And then it's like, and so on top of all of that, you've got journalists trying to create a niche for themselves. And they have to be the first to break this and the first to break that. and the person to say the most outlandish thing. And then TV feeds into that as well. And I'm part of it. You know, I go on things and, and it will be me and someone else. And we always have opposing views and we have a debate or a chat, but because we never agree, mm. um, you know, hopefully it's always pretty civilised, but you don't maybe get into so much nuance. And, you know, I think that was my problem with, with question time, mm. was that I don't really want to hear Bernard asking some stupid question or Helen asking. I, you know, I, I actually think there was when COVID happened and they took the audience away, it was really good. Yeah. It was great because suddenly you had different politicians sat there getting really into the nitty gritty rather than being interrupted by quite moronic questions
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i can see that
1: you know i i i i I don't think anybody would want to see me in a million years probably talk about anything but talk about cars for instance because i don't know anything about cars so if you had this is top gear and here's gemma I go, oh, it's red and it's quite (laughs) nice and it's got lovely seats, you know. It's the same with politics. You know, why should Bernard, who's a carpet fitter, necessarily understand the intricacies of how EU regulations work? I'd prefer to listen to somebody who really knows.
0: Yeah. But the problem with that is, and I've said this a couple of times on this podcast, but the problem with that is that Bernard, the carpet fitter, now truly believes that his opinion matters. And in some ways, traditionally, it does because he's a voter. So it's it's on him who he wants to vote for and that could have an impact. But mm-hmm. what's changed is over the last 10 years is like previously what would happen 20, 30 years ago is Bernard would go down the pub and Bernard would say mm-hmm. something stupid to his friends, Matty and Dan. And he would say, like, oh, have you heard about these vaccines? They don't actually work and they turn you into a fish. And then his mates would say, like, oh, don't be a dick, Bernard. And then his other mate would go, like, yeah, you're talking some crazy shit, Bernard. Settle down. Like, And then Bernard would go away and go, maybe I was being a bit of a dick there. I should, I should rein it in a bit with my crazy chat. But now what mm-hmm. happens is Bernard goes on Twitter mm-hmm. and says, that mm-hmm. these vaccines will turn you into a fucking fish. And then a hundred other people retweet Bernard and go like, see, Bernard's telling it how it is. And before you know it, Bernard's like empowered. Bernard feels like he has a point and he goes on question time. And there's three other Bernards. He
1: basically just told the story of Lawrence Fox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I mean, I don't know what the solution is because this is, in my I was about to say, in my opinion, in my heart, Gemma, I feel like this is the this is where it all stems from, is people uh, yeah. think that their opinion is cast iron, like gold-plated mm. truth, and it's fucking not. It's just a lot of the time no. it's ignorant. A lot of the time it's based on stuff that they've, through no fault of their own, read from somewhere else that was not sourced properly. And
1: Oh, Doris from Facebook, I know. And, and you know, I think as well what I miss is that sort of level of discussion where you can go, there are lots of reasons why the EU is clunky and cumbersome and they've, they've really messed up on the procurement. Actually being in the single market, what a dream. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, freedom of movement's a good thing because X, Y, and Z. Actually, oh, she to Yeah, she's okay, but this and, and that's not good. But it's like so tribal. Yeah. It's, stupid
0: yeah it's impossible to have any conversation with any level of nuance now because the second that you say um uh like i'll I'll take so my my political leanings for example right i tend to be unsurprisingly perhaps uh, a little bit left leaning like there's a lot of stuff i do lean left about but then there's other stuff where i could quite happily take a sort of very moderate right lean about uh when i listen to people like ian dale um, and he talks about, you know, self-sufficiency and making something of yourself and responsibility and that sort of stuff. I look at my background and without sounding like a massive prick about it, you know, I I grew up on council estates and uh, I went to university. And then when I was 35, I became a dad and I thought, right, I better not fuck around anymore. And I retrained and now I work in tech. And it's I've I've had quite an all right experience work like building up myself kind of thing and I think there's something mm-hmm. there's something to that and I accept that not everyone can retrain at 35 for an array of reasons um but I, th- I, th- I think it's good to focus on yourself and to you know to to play yeah, your strengths it's all and- like,
1: you know I, I I'm a capitalist I agree I'm about you know there's nothing wrong with that but I'm, a, I'm, but I'm a socialist at heart but yeah but you this is the thing as well you can be a whole mixture of things I don't want to you know live in a field, I like to earn money Mm. and I like to try and progress. And, uh, but I believe that the gap between rich and poor now has become so distinct, it's immoral. Mm. And I personally think, you know, the value to society of what a nurse does compared to what a banker does, okay, they're always gonna be paid more. But when it was like, you're paid 2 million quid and you're paid 20 grand, that's one thing. But when it's, you're still being paid 20 grand, and you're on a uh, half a billion, that's disgusting. I mean, that's the most simplistic way that I can put it, but you know, and again, I, I so I've never been a conservative and there were so many things that were wrong with Thatcher, but at the heart of her thing, she was a grocer's daughter, she was about, that's where probably Ian's kind of politics, he's a conservative come from, that that idea of yes, bettering yourself, and that's the thing. There's ideas from everything that are interesting and there's positives in everything, but it's not being able to have that discussion. Ian Dale is brilliant. I've been on LBC with him and I've been on Vine a few times with him. And he is a very, very, very good broadcaster. Yeah. And he's a massive Brexiteer and he's a conservative, but he's so clever and he's so interesting I, and he's he's always worth a listen.
0: I'm fascinated at his brexiteerdom if that's even a word
1: yeah i just I don't really still understand why no
0: but... I, I don't get it but um but I what i it. like is I, I like his approach to uh you know he listens to his callers he's re- like reasoned he's sort of mm. considered like he you can tell he's actually thinking about the issue and then presenting his thoughts based on the information that he has to him at that time right and that's there's
1: nothing he doesn't know about politics as well he ran to be a Conservative MP and he's met them all. Yeah. And he does this thing called cross-question on LBC. And, and I was on it one week and I was a bit like, why am I here? It was me, Jack Dromey, who's a Labour MP who's married to Harriet Harman, um, Peter Bone, who's right. a big old Brexity Brexiter, and then uh, Claire Fox.
0: Okay. How did you get on?
1: Interesting array. And it was, yeah, I got on all right. It was, uh, I, I you know, I was probably there to make up the lefty numbers. It was... Uh, fine but but yeah he's a he's a really good host i mean i've been lucky i've met so many interesting people but he's one that i can say that whatever he does believe it's seeped in knowledge
0: yeah yeah do you think he'll ever because
1: i've also met people that i'm not going to name who are their opinions are founded on getting the most attention yeah on twitter and making a name for themselves
0: my favourite one of those is that guy. He's a new one of the new class of Tory MPs called Bradley something. Oh,
1: don't, don't.
0: that guy? He's like oh, no, yeah. he's gone super quiet recently, sad. but he's like Some every really other week. Yeah, like for for a good like three month block, he was on Twitter <laughs> saying fucking dumb rubbish,
1: like abhorrent, and taken to school
0: for it each I think time. My
1: favourites in terms of. What planet are you actually on, and how do these people have a job? Andrea Jenkins, the one who's talked about fish, yep. for years, yeah, and screwed that industry so badly, yeah, without understanding how she's been part of that, yeah. And now she's like, Ugh, <laughs> uh, like the whole I, industry. <laughs> I like. <laughs> And it's like, you made this happen. And then the other one is John Redwood. Yeah. Who will suddenly tweet things like, well, you know, if we do in a few months' time not have the imports, we just all need to grow it in our back gardens. And you're like, the- what about people who live in flats, John?
0: Yeah. These people are on a fu- uh, another planet.
1: Also, I've got to- what about people who have to get up and go to work? We can't go out there and tend to their marrows. Yeah. He's... I think that the most important... Um, Quality. I've decided recently yeah. to ha- to possess. If you're gonna be a decent politician and perhaps a decent commentator as well, is empathy. Yeah. And you know, we all have our own lived experience. We're all going to have a different perspective and skew depending on our upbringings, how we were raised, who we've met, of course. But you listened the other day to Jess Phillips talking about. Mm women's violence and she was so passionate and she was so honest and great on that subject and then you cut up to Pretty Patel you think <laughs>
0: mm.
1: you, uh, like for me I can't
0: there's no comparison uh, is there
1: I don't know where she I don't know I just don't get her. Like, and maybe someone once said to me in telly, someone like really big commissioner was like, the thing is when you choose presenters, especially on ITV, you've got to reckon, you've got to feel like you could go to the pub with them for a pint. So like Anton Deck, everyone wants to go to the, for, to the pub for a pint yeah. with them. You wouldn't want to go for a pint with Pretty Patel. Would you? Yeah. And I know it's not the same job, but these people are in charge. She's in charge of like our police force and our laws. Yeah. And so what happens to the perpetrators of violence and and, and where that should tally and, and refugees and asylum seekers, oh, it just terrifies me. I,
0: I call that anomaly the beer test. So anytime there's a big election coming up, whether it's US or, or UK, I look at both candidates and I'm like, which one would you rather go to the pub for a beer with? Mm. Uh and I'm sad to say that at the last, like I didn't vote for Boris Johnson, but I looked at the last you know Corbyn versus mm. Johnson, and I was like, I I think most of the electorate would happily say that they would rather have a beer with Boris Johnson than Corbyn. Uh,
1: well, they 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 did, and they made that very clear. Mm. I'd rather put my head in a vat of oil than have a <laughs> pint with Johnson. Thing is, I feel like I've seen through the yeah. Wizard of Oz stuff so long ago, and I, uh, you know, apologies if, if people will be going, oh, he's great, he's doing his best, he's so funny. I just don't find anything about that. Yeah. Moral vacuum.
0: Do you think amusing? It, like I, I am dumbfounded by the continued support for him. Like whenever I see a Westminster voting intention. A tweet come out that says oh the mm-hmm. Tories have gained another two points I'm like I mm. I cannot fathom how well let me back up a little bit for about five seconds I think to myself I cannot fathom how people could still be not just still be supporting but increasing in their support for him and then I'm reminded of the state of like tabloid culture from the stem newspapers and I'm like yeah. I don't know how we get out of this unless Starmer does a takes a similar tactic as the one that you were talking about earlier with Blair where he cozies up to Murdoch. And this is a real conflict mm-hmm. for me because I'm like, I understand you need Murdoch on side to win the election. Mm-hmm. So is it such a bad thing if he cosies up to him? Uh and then on the, the like the other option or the other avenue would be if Murdoch At this point like,
1: honestly be be his bitch. Yeah. Just do what it takes.
0: Yeah. I mean I I'm sorry to say <laughs> we can't have this. I'm like I'm not a Murdoch fan. I, I You know, I wouldn't wish death on anyone apart from Murdoch. Uh, But I I think the world, and especially Europe, would be a much more settled place if Murdoch would just hang up his keys or whatever and then just, you know, like if if his influence could just sunset at this point, that would be great. Or if...
1: It's quite interesting, because, you know, Starmer isn't really cutting through at the moment, although he inherited such... um... And when Corbyn first came on the scene, I thought, yeah, I could see all the students really reacting well when he went on stage. I think for me, the anti-Semitism was such an issue Mm. that it wasn't stamped out whichever way you look at it. And it just felt to me like if you're very disturbed by the Islamophobia that was going on and by Boris Johnson's racist comments, then you have to be really deeply troubled by the anti-Semitism that hasn't been dealt with in the Labour Party and Like, so, I mean, I was easy because I had the perfect cop out because where I live, it was Lib Dem or conservative. And I went Lib Dem and we got the Lib Dem MP. Very rare. So for me, it was like, good. And they supported, um, you know, another uh, referendum, etc. So for me, that was that was easy. It wasn't a waste, if you like. But Keir Starmer um, do you think he- managed to get that right back up, didn't he, by about 20 points really, really quickly. But it makes, I, I don't know, he's not on the attack enough potentially. And then you think, do we need Elisa Nandi? But then it's like football. If you change the manager just for the sake of it and then it doesn't work. And if I listened to Keir Starmer on Desert Island Discs the other day. You know, he's the antithesis of Boris Johnson. He's a good man.
0: Mm. I get that He is but... He's
1: just He's very clever He's worked very hard His jobs that he's had Are He is brilliant
0: Yeah but, but He's a
1: brilliant Dedicated hard worker Does he
0: survive The beer test Gemma
1: Oh I'd go for a beer With him Any day of the week Over Bruce Johnson Oh my god I'd go on holiday With him and <laughs>
0: have
1: buffet breakfast
0: See I think I yeah. I, I know I, I don't know I, I
1: and also, I don't necessarily want whoever's leading the country to have a beer with him. I'm honest. I don't. I just want some. I actually now want some integrity. Yeah, but and I want someone that you feel is going to do the right thing.
0: Mm. But with like journalism in its current state, isn't it the truth that they, they have to survive the beer? They've got to be popular. They've got to be someone that the uh, every day. Have
1: we really become that stupid? I think we
0: have. I, like I'm not saying because, I would rather. You know, of
1: course, John Major was about. He wouldn't have had the beer test. I mean, there's loads of prime ministers. who wouldn't have had the beer test. Theresa May, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, I, I can only say what I think. I want somebody who I would trust with my kids, who cares about serving the country and not just their own get bringing out an autobiography and doing after dinner speaking after all of this, you know, getting their picture up on the wall. Yeah. I want someone who understands law. I want someone who understands and doesn't lie.
0: Yeah.
1: Good luck me. I, re- I might just emigrate. I'm single. And I keep thinking when the kids are a bit older and they go to university, maybe I just need to meet Klaus or someone <laughs> and just get out of here. It, if it's like this, because you know, as of last week, there's some really dodgy laws gone through on protesting, as you know, with that policing bill.
0: Yeah, I think.
1: I mean, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, but it's it, it's pretty grim.
0: You said earlier about, um, wait, hold on, let me back up a little bit. So, the protest bill, uh, is that fueling your? Well,
1: it was the policing bill, and the trouble is, within the policing bill, there were some really good things in mm. it. Okay, so those things to make women safer and this and that. So those are the ones that conservatives were sort of going, well, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. But when you look deep into it, the reason Labour voted against it is because it needed so much amending, because within it buried are all these clauses where Pretty Patel can basically hone the law as she sees fit, as she goes along. So if she decides, well, I don't like that protest, i.e. Black Lives Matter or Extinction
0: Rebellion,
1: yeah. I don't care about black people or the planet... Oh I like the one where it's like I'm protesting because I don't like cancel culture or whatever. Yeah. She, you know, and that is not how how democracy should be. It goes against everything that Winston Churchill said, but, ironically. And then she's all these little laws like if you're annoying someone or if you're loud, you can be
0: arrested. Yeah. Or or have you just have, have your protest you're not shut high down. High, are you? Yeah. Yeah. But like
1: I mean, you know, it just—it's not good. What, it's very authoritarian. What
0: amazes me about that is, uh, and I think you touched on this earlier, it was about like the short-termist mentality of it, because they're going to wheel this in, thinking, "Oh, well, this will make our lives easier for the next like three and a half years until the next <laughs> election. We can shut down protests and we can do whatever we like. And if people protest against it, we can shut that down too. Great. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Well, then, what happens if Labour get in at the next election? and then they say cool well we've got thanks for all the legislation guys like next time anyone protests against prime minister I starmer probably,
1: i don't i don't think they will get in next time but i think there'll be a lot of unpicking one day putting things back to how they should be
0: i hope so yeah
1: <laughs> but i don't think they'll get in next time i think we're stuck with this lot
0: yeah
1: he's teflon it's like trump isn't it when he said i could go out and shoot someone on 5th avenue and no
0: one would bat an eyelid well i think they've just come unfortunately at, at well, depending on what side of the political uh, landscape you sit on, they've come at the right time at, at the right place where they happen to be in an office at the same time as Twitter and everything. And, you know, the, the, uh, polarization of the media has happened. I think if it yeah. had been labor in government at this time, we would have had the exact same problem and everyone would be like, is there ever going to be a conservative government again? Um, because whoever is in government right now and has the cosy relationships with these publishers, um, I just think it's 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 going to be like trying to evict a fucking set of badgers from, like, infesting your garden. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, like, trying to root these guys out is going to be so hard. I think the next, next phase of all of this will be, like, Boris Johnson's eldest kids will be, like, inserted into government, like the way that the Trumps were, you know? It'll start getting real bad. We thought.
1: I think what would be really nice is my dad's got a good expression. He always says, "Sometimes you just need to go and run your brain under a cold tap." <laughs> and I feel a bit like we've all had such a year of it. Within that, the news obviously has been harrowing with the you know COVID deaths and pandemic and all that stuff. And then the undercurrent of Brexit's happened, and it it's. It's a disaster, actually. Mm. Trillions have left the country and gone to Amsterdam. Fishing's collapsed and exports are at 40, 40% lower they were in January. And I think that's increasing. So pretty, whoa, hey, that's good. Um, and then I think what everybody who works in the media needs to do from time to time is what my dad said, and take your brain out and, and rinse it onto a cold tap. Because the other thing is the reason a lot of people just go, oh, Boris Johnson's fine. Oh, yeah, I'll just look at the Daily Mail. It's because actually, if your life's okay, Mm. you just, you know, you don't don't need to delve into everything that's happening. And because I do for work, it can really take its toll. And I was with a friend the other day who's friends with a very famous newsreader. And apparently that very famous newsreader was saying, she's exhausted. You know, it's been a lot. And probably the best thing to do is just like switch everything off for a few weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: um, which I will do over the summer. Absolutely full sure, and just <laughs> roam around like an like an animal. Do you think uh, being free? Do you think
0: journalists will get like post traumatic stress disorder after like the last four years?
1: I don't. Know. Some, not all people who work in news. Yeah. Twenty four hours a day. I think they have a point where it's too much. And there was another story that um, someone I know used to work on lbc actually and i think he'd done a a late shift you know and it's that constant 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 news and news is always bad Mm. you don't pick up the news and go oh well you know today there's a flamingo has been sighted and it was really beautiful it's always awful yeah and one day he just finished work and he was walking down and it's in the same building i think as magic or something or smooth all of
0: the global stations are in there aren't they like the global, yeah. yeah. And Art. he stopped
1: and someone was just playing this sort of like light Luther Vandross track or something. And he just suddenly thought, what am I doing? And he went to see his boss uh, a couple of weeks later and just said, are there any jobs at Smooth And they were like, well, that's quite a weird transition. And to this day now, it's just sat there just playing nice, relaxing music. Yeah,
0: Because
1: so he thought he was going to go mad.
0: I can see how that, I mean, actually, at, <laughs> at the beginning of last year, I, th- I felt like, probably like a lot of news junkies do, I just felt like it was all getting a bit too much. I think it was right at fever pitch where everyone was saying Brexit is going to horse fuck the economy and everything's going to implode and there's going to be food shortages. And anyway, I was I was like, I need to just chill out. So I deleted Twitter, yeah. which takes a lot for me to do, um, and all of the news apps on my phone. And I thought, I'm going to reroute. I did this thing on Chrome where you can reroute anytime I my fingers reflexively just start typing in like the guardian or news and it goes to sky news straight away so i put this redirect in where whenever i tried to go to a news site it would redirect me to a tech site and um and and it lasted for about 12 days until all of the covid shit started started, like blowing up i was like right i'm not gonna read the news or watch i'm done with it for a little bit i just need a break and then the worst fucking global pandemic in like the last did
1: the break help
0: uh, I felt infinitely happier for those 12 days, like way less anxious and more family-oriented, more sort of...
1: I'm quite good at switching off, actually. And, like, when I go on holiday, I am that person that leaves my phone in the safe because I just... Yeah. I Yeah, love, I love good it. for you. I love not being... Yeah, it's good. I'm quite good at the quality time thing and also knowing when my brains had enough I mean
0: and and you probably had the joey essex book with you to keep you happy right
1: obviously obviously it's a great Mm. read um (laughs) and I think you know although all I've done is come on your show and moan on bang on about how bloody awful everything is I'm actually a really optimistic fairly happy person and I hope that things are cyclical and that they'll all settle down again and it does get me down sometimes I was very emotional about all the Sarah Everard stuff and everything surrounding that the other week Mm. but if I look at me myself and I I am all right. I've got loads of stuff to be really happy about and I do think the news if you wake up and the first thing you look at and the first thing that hits you in the face is all negative it's I quite like to wake up get up cup of coffee bit of thing to and then be like right yeah <laughs> what's going on there yeah but if I'm doing Jeremy Vine or something, then I am like, I properly absorb all of it. But it's great fun. It is a buzz.
0: Yeah. I can't, like, I'm the worst. I, I'm none of those things. Like, I, I, the last thing I look at at night is Twitter and the, like, the Guardian's app. And then when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I look at is Twitter and the Guardian app. Mm-hmm. And then I, you
1: see, I read last thing at night, switch the phone off, that's around, right?
0: Like, I wish I could, but
1: watch telly and then I'll do a bit of reading and I just I but I'm I've learned that I need to do those yeah. things
0: or you are going out because
1: I had my periods in life of lying in bed at three o'clock in the mornings or wondering what's going on in life and like no I want to get a good night's sleep and yeah so it's quite good to and sometimes if I go out with the kids I'll leave the phone yeah at home as well and it's nice sometimes we'll throw it in the river
0: yeah do you know sometimes i've like i have done that we've got this little we're very lucky we've got like a uh a, a little kind of nature reserve they've they've basically taken some old industrial ground and they're, they're like well we can't sell this shit for flats so we'll just turn it into a pond so we've got okay. this thing down the just down the back there and uh sometimes i'll just leave my phone behind up here and then take my kids and my girlfriend down there and it's but it's really nice it's nice you feel incredibly free and liberated to not be connected to all of that chaos while you're walking around and feeding the ducks but if i'm really honest i do feel i feel like that's because we're
1: addicted so the front bits of our brain the pleasure zone which is where you release dopamine so when you pick up your phone it, you get the same hormone that like a sex addict gets when they walk into a, like a having sex or a gambler gets when they walk into a casino. It's the same. Really? So we are all completely addicted, which is why when you haven't been on it for a while and you get that itchy, like, and it's your brain actually going outwards all the time and needing that fix. And then all those algorithms, we've all seen the documentary, haven't we? On Netflix. Yeah, you know, every time you look at your Insta and your thing and your lights so up, I try and fight that with everything I've got and do a bit of meditation and stuff sometimes to put the brain Mm. back.
0: I used to work at a place where uh, every time we did like morning meetings, we'd go into like one of the little glass rooms and uh, he'd be like, leave your phone behind. And then we'd all leave our phones behind. And the first time it was really fucking awkward. because everyone's just sat there going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, all of this stuff. And then next time he'd gone out and he'd bought these like little spongy toys And put them in a little bowl in the middle, and he was like, "Right, cool, no phones, but everyone grab one of these like little, but like they're like stress ball kind of things." It was Mm -hmm. like everyone just hold one of these, and then.
1: But Isn't that weird that you're all so addicted at that point that you cannot cope in a short meeting without having to squeeze a sponge? I know,
0: and it makes me feel like incredibly sad and like hooked on it. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know what the fuck I'm yeah. supposed to do because I like I need a phone for work and and there are there's yeah. downtime like in between you know calls or
1: oh yeah um, yeah don't get me yeah. wrong I am on my absolutely loads maybe it gets easier because I've got older kids so obviously I become their phone monitor yeah. so we have really strong rules like they don't charge their phones in their bedrooms okay. for obvious reasons. I don't want them looking at Twitch internet in the middle of the night, I never know what they're gonna see. All of those things. And because I am like right, we eat together. And then we'll watch something together. And when we're watching, like you can't be on your phone. So then I'm not either. Mm. Because I can't then be sitting there. Yeah. Because for me, I, there's the three of us all sitting there like morons, I can't stand it. And then we'll all have some time to ourselves as well. But so because and so when they're not here, I'll be like Yeah, yeah. They're good for me they're good for me because they make me mum up yeah
0: i think i'll be like i'll be that dad that's like okay dinner time guys come on phones away like everyone puts like you know in the social dilemma where they put all their phones in the thing i'm gonna be that that dad where i'll just be like let's just have a conversation let's talk oh
1: no we eat together every single day round the table and, and a, a friend of mine's kids was saying the other day that that's quite unusual and I think that's really sad. Yeah,
0: I think, I, that, I can't imagine um, my kids growing up and then that not being the case though.
1: No, not being able to yeah. sit at the table and participate and have good chats and we have all our best chats either around the table or in the car. Yeah.
0: When I, I went to Australia when I was like uh, uh, 20 or 20, no, 21, and um, my uncle Uh, I stayed with him out there and my cousins and I grew up with like my parents split up. Uh, So it was just in the house. It was me, my brother and my mum. And then later my stepdad. Um, But in Australia, I was, my mind was blown because they had such an amazing family dynamic in that, like Mm -hmm. the two girls had moved out, but every Friday, they would come back home to the family house. And then my uncle would take them out for dinner then they'd go to see a movie, and then they'd come back, and then yeah. all go their separate ways. And I was like, "That's so nice! Like, oh, <laughs> I wish I had that." And um, yeah. and now like obviously I'm older with a family of my own. I'm like, what? Like, however old they get, I want them to always know that they can come back home on a Friday night, and we'll get them a takeaway, and we'll watch a movie, or we'll take them out, you know, to the movies if there's such a thing as a cinema. Then I don't know, but um,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's good. These are all very good intentions, and it's a lovely thing. And then you don't care about all the news and what politician is being a bell end that week because it doesn't matter
0: to them. Yeah, yeah. So in that moment, um, we're we're sort of running out of time. I just want to get your thoughts on on the future Um, because we've talked a lot about how fucked everything is now. Um, You've said (laughs) that you're naturally an optimist. Um, Where do you see journalism going in the next five or ten years?
1: I think we haven't hit the worst bit yet. Oh God. But I think we're getting there. I think we're going to go yeah. more extreme potentially. But at a certain point, I think it will come full circle because I think the internet is going to start to be regulated in a way that we don't understand or can't foresee yet. Because if you look at the fact that kids have unfettered access to porn, for instance, like that is a huge problem that an eight-year-old Watch, like it is absolute a mess, and it's causing loads of problems in society. And I won't go, it's another podcast is about parenting, but so you start with that, and then you look at the fact that, like, I have a stalker on Twitter, she might be watching now, she does new things every flipping day, drives me mad. I try and block them all, but it's like, how is she able to have a hundred different Twitter things from the same IP address? Like, that is an issue. People not having to put photographs up trolling you know we saw the Caroline Flack program and it's disgusting so I think what will happen is eventually this wild west that we all exist in will start to become regulated I hope Mm. then at that point I think perhaps some kind of moderation might come back into uh, how things are reported and hopefully the Conservatives will have eaten themselves in one big Bullingdon club <laughs> fight and uh, but I think I don't I, don't, I think we, we haven't quite got there yet there's a lot of these there's that new appointment at the BBC is very disturbing um and what they who they want to put in charge of Ofcom and the emergence of these new platforms is it's a flipping yeah world. it's the wild west at the moment but I think it will improve but I don't know when because I'm not mystic Meg
0: okay all right well, exactly. that's that's half terrifying and then half sort of optimistic. Like I, I, feel like, I mean, my my personal take on it is, I I broadly agree with you. I think it will. We we haven't hit the bottom yet. It's gonna mm. bottom out at some point in the next probably two or three years. It will get really bad. Mm. Um, I think yeah. If any of the new appointees to some of these key positions are, are anything to go by, probably not the last of those either. Um, but yeah. I also have quite, you know, I, I have great faith in... I, it probably doesn't sound like I do, but some of the comments that I've made in this this episode earlier, but I have faith in, in the general populace. And I feel like if they do start to really crack down on, let's say, you know, left-wing comedy, or um, they feel like the news is too left-wing or too generous to left-wing sensibilities and so on, and they shut that down, um, I don't think that those people who... Um, are interested in progressive issues will suddenly go oh, okay. Well, I guess that's the end of that then. Like, let's all become Tories. I think they will.
1: What? Because you don't, you don't think it will be um, flooded with all that really good right wing comedy.
0: No, no, I don't. Regardless of what several right wing <laughs> comedians who all claim that they're the only right wing comedian uh, would profess.
1: Isn't there? There is only one, isn't there? Jeff Northcott. Oh, rather.
0: don't say that. No, because you'll have all of them like tweeting you going like, I'm a right-wing comedian too. Um,
1: Who? I don't know. Anyone. I'm not
0: going to name them. Let's not, let's not go down okay, that way. Don't, yeah, don't, uh, don't. Okay, don't. But um, I think that if you take away exposure to, to left-wing uh, progressive uh, issues and sensibilities uh, at, at somewhere like the BBC or Sky News or, or wherever, um, I think those people will just be hungry for it from somewhere else. And someone else will set up the equivalent of you know, GB News, uh, to, to serve that alt-right demographic, I think there will be something on the left mm-hmm. as well.
1: trouble is with that, GB News's funding has come from all these people in Dubai and all these people who've got ulterior shadowy motives and those kinds of people tend to want to keep the Tories in. Mm. I'm not, you know, that's the thing. But yeah... So I sort of see what you mean, but I don't know quite where the funding would come
0: from. But do you? it can't just be GB News, though. Like, there, there has to be an opening somewhere for a progressive left-leaning. I don't
1: left know how GB News will do. I mean, I know it's going to... I mean, maybe it'll do sensationally well. They've got enough money behind them, but will you be watching? No.
0: It? <laughs> but... And like, I think if there's a market there, for the there right, is also there's got to be a market. You
1: see Sky, but yeah, but it, uh, it'll it be really interesting to see how it does. But at the moment, the way it looks like it's going to go, it looks like it'll be a TV version of talk radio. Yeah. And I'm not sure how talk radio does. I don't know, which I've been on loads and loads of times, but it's not like everybody's talking about it.
0: No, probably James O'Brien and uh, maybe somebody from... What's the other one? Talk sport. I feel like that oh what's that guy's name? I've gigged with him as well. Um he was on there like ranting about masks and stuff, but anyway, like James O'Brien's probably the <laughs> most viral uh LBC, you know, talk radio guy, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, you are right. Oh
1: no, no, no. I meant I meant talk radio the the station.
0: Oh right. The actual radio station called Talk Radio. Yeah, so that's... I thought you meant the genre, so... I'm sorry. Oh no, no. Yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. So we'll yeah. see. It'll be interesting.
0: Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for for joining me tonight, Gemma. Um, and yeah, if anybody's I- interested in I- hearing more, then um, follow me and or Gemma on Twitter. Uh, what's your handle again, Gem?
1: It's at Gemma Forte. Gemma with a J. Cool,
0: cool, cool. Okay. Well, pretty easy, really, <laughs> just my <for> name. <laughs> All right.
1: So went for the standard name. Yeah,
0: that's uh, that's easy to remember. Let's uh, let's leave it there. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. cheers. Good night.